Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the first therapeutic radiographer led oncology podcast. Uh, my name is Naomi Jokanderson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi! So we thought we would use this opportunity to introduce ourselves uh, and our career pathways as it is something we typically ask all of our guests. Um, so Joe, how did you become a therapy rad... sorry no, how did you become <laughs> a therapeutic radiographer? Uh, you just tested me. Are you going to get me going on a rant about our professional title? Well, radiation therapist is another term, but listen to therapeutic radiographer. <laughs> um, so I'd always wanted to be a physio. Um, that sounds really bizarre as a therapeutic radiographer, but I actually used to do loads of sport at school. Um, I was in all of the clubs, did lots of athletics, um, did swim training. Honestly, I loved doing sports at school and all of my Saturday jobs were around carer activities and or catering and so I knew that I wanted to be public facing, I knew that I wanted to do something with people, I was quite caring and empathetic Um, and so from that perspective I did the usual thing of going to careers advisors and stressing kind of what I was interested in and they actually produced the idea of a physiotherapist. Um, so I was thrilled, I was like get in, found my career and I was probably 13, 14 at the time so I had loads of time to actually do lots of research, do lots of work experience. I even worked as an assistant physiotherapist actually in a private physio clinic for a while and just developing my knowledge and experience as much as I possibly could even back then which was a long time ago now um, it was actually really competitive to get into a physiotherapy course Um, so I knew that work experience was really important. Anyway during my um, spell of doing um my work experience i had a few fainting episodes just two uh, they were quite monumental because i remember the patient having to get off the bed so they could put me on it um, and i just put it down to not eating properly being a hormonal teenager you know never really thought anything about it you know typically when you're on work experience you're hot and sweaty and you're trying to do a good impression for everyone that's kind of observing you so i just put it down to that Um, Anyway, I applied for a few physiotherapy courses and eventually I chose to study at Sheffield Hallam University, largely as my then boyfriend, now husband, had studied there and knew the city, had lots of friends. um, And when I came to visit, I was really just amazed coming from the country that it was a great big city that had lots of green spaces and that really appealed to me. So... When I actually started the course, um, I remember one of the induction activities was to familiarise yourself with joints and how the body worked. Anyway, needless to say, I fainted and there was just a dawning realisation that I wasn't cut out to be a physio and that actually it was the whole manipulation of joints that I just could not cope with. So... um, and it's just, it's just ironic, really, because anything else I'm absolutely fine with. But even if I have physio today, I would still pass out. I broke my little finger and I went for physio and I passed out. It, don't ask me why. I have no idea why. But a real aversion to kind of <laughs> anyone manipulating any joints. Um, so I walked through Sheffield Town University campus really upset Um, didn't know what to do. I'd paid all this money to have accommodation, you know, I'd moved everything from where I was living near Henley-on-Thames to come up to Sheffield to a city I didn't know, um, with my then boyfriend thinking, oh, I'm about to live the dream, and a dawning realisation that I'd made a huge mistake. And actually, a professor stopped me to make sure I was okay. And her name was Professor Angela Duxbury. And I know anyone listening to the podcast who's been in radiotherapy for about 20 years will know Angela. Um, She's quite a prolific name um, and person and um, was a real inspiration to me. And I'm eternally grateful for what she did, which was essentially go, oh, don't worry, it's absolutely fine why don't you be a therapeutic radiographer? Anyway, I had no idea what was one was. I'd never had anyone in my family who'd had cancer, so I'd never even heard of radiotherapy as a treatment. So she sent me home back to um, Berkshire and she said, look, I'll sort out a work experience day for you and go to the department, 
see if it's something you're interested in and if it is then you can apply through clearing i don't want to say that that she was desperate but <laughs> recruitment to therapeutic radiography has always been really challenging so maybe she saw her opportunity and i have to say i learned from the best because i definitely use that tactic now um even on open days i'm like come and have a chat about therapeutic radiography to all the physio and diagnostic students um and i went for a departmental visit to a department and that was it i was absolutely hooked i knew I wasn't destined to be a physiotherapist and it was actually a therapeutic radiographer that I was meant to be. That's a nice explanation. Um, interesting. Well done, Prof, for uh, not being too desperate and getting Joe into the profession. <laughs> I don't know what the profession would do without you now. So. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it would be absolutely fine. <laughs> so when you went to visit this department, what was it that solidified kind of your pursuit of being a therapeutic radiographer? Um, so back then, radiotherapy was in a real dark pit of hospital. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like how it is now when radiotherapy departments are modern, they're carefully designed, they've got great lighting everywhere. Yes, they're still often in a, in a basement, but um, they, de they definitely weren't presented the same way that they are now. And I vividly remember going down lots of steps thinking, where are they taking me down like a corridor that was quite dark and grey and cement filled and I was like oh gosh this is a bit scary I'm not sure about this um and then I was shadowing a therapeutic radiographer who was looking after a poorly patient and they went to go and collect this patient from the waiting room and honestly it was just something like a light bulb just hit me because I saw this radiographer really caring empathetic looking after this patient who was obviously struggling with a lot of pain and she ushered her into the radiotherapy treatment room and I just gasped because I'd seen this huge piece of scary looking equipment which obviously now I know is a linear accelerator but at the time I was like oh my gosh this poor little old lady is about to go onto this machine like what are you going to do to her and it was only through the reassurance, the caring words that the therapeutic radiographer was using, um, the empathy that they displayed, you know, setting her up and using the equipment. I was in absolute awe. Um, you know, I couldn't believe the capabilities of the equipment, but also the software. I remember they were taking an image on a portal imager um, you know, some of some some people won't even know what that is these days now. But good old portal imager, and I couldn't believe that you could visualise inside of the body. You know, I'd heard of a diagnostic radiographer before, and um, I've never broken any bones, but I'd seen my sister break a bone or two, and so I knew about diagnostic radiography. But you know, seeing someone who was going for cancer treatment and still being able to have those level of images to see where they were treating I thought was absolutely fascinating um, and to be honest everything I saw during that day just made me fall more and more in love with the role and I rang Angela up after I'd had that day's visit and just went it was amazing I absolutely loved it and I've still got actually the letter with the feedback on from the therapeutic radiographer and I wish I could remember her name off the top of my head but I can't but she was definitely influential in uh, in making me decide to be a therapeutic radiographer in the way that she was able to treat patients. Because I think it, had I just have seen the equipment, I'd have I'd have said actually this is not the role for me. So Naaman, you know now what got me into therapeutic radiography. What influenced you? So I have to be honest. I always called it therapy radiography before until I've met you and you told me off. Yeah, <laughs> to be fair, I, I, I did call it therapy radiographer. And actually, as a student, we used to call ourselves radiotherapists. So I totally get it. Charlotte Beardmore told me off. And that's who then influenced me to call us therapeutic radiographers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, similar to you, um, I never did therapeutic radiography as my first kind of career. Uh, so believe it or not, I always wanted to be a special forces medic. So I didn't know what that fully meant, but I wanted to push myself um and yeah be in the military jump out of planes go behind enemy lines or whatever and help save people just do all the fun stuff basically do whatever that but 
uh, let's just say it was a bit of a dream because I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know what I had to do. <laughs> no one told me all the hard work it would be. Um, and actually I did, so I tried to get into medical school so that I could go into the route and I didn't realise that if you don't get into medical school, um, you don't get a place within the army to obviously study because you need to have a place and then they fund you. So that was a bit of a letdown. Uh, then I did biomedical sciences, as most people who don't make it into medicine do. <laughs> I was also the last year, I think, before the fees went up. So they had to have two extra lecture rooms because there were so many people just trying to get a degree before it went up to like extortionate prices. Um, but yeah, then once I qualified, um, I realised you can't get a job as a biomedical scientist straight away. You have to get a trainee position, which there's like one in every 10 hospitals so it's really 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 hard and competitive uh, and to be honest I just I wasn't very passionate about it I wasn't mature enough to see that either so just thought oh I've got a degree I'm just gonna get a job now be fine um, it's not like that you do have to work for it um, so yeah I decided I still wanted to do something more clinical so I got an opportunity to go back to India where I was born and raised uh, in Delhi just worked in a hospital which was semi-private semi also kind of government funded um, it was amazing. So I got to do like a physician's associate internship. And then it wasn't quite well known as it is here now. Um, it's, it's quite an American thing, um, I would say. And you kind of, yeah, a bit of a backup um, for the medical team. But you get to do all this like amazing skills and stuff. So yeah, got loads of on the job training. And then effectively, because I don't really have paramedics in India, um, they sent me out on ambulance calls, because it was cheaper and easier. So did that. But uh yeah crazy experience as a 21 year old who did you get to drive an ambulance i did uh, yes I don't, well, I don't know what it's like now and i don't want to get myself in trouble you don't always need a driving license in india to drive usually if you've got a thousand rupees in your pocket you can usually get away with it if the police officer stops you i've done that on quite a few occasions <laughs> most people in my family have everyone does it but now i know it's a lot better <laughs> thankfully so yeah, I did get to drive an ambulance. I didn't have to bribe anyone. But in India, not many people move out of your way like they do here. Like people here, when you, you see an ambulance, you just put your car on the curb, let them go through there. We used to sit with patients in the back for like hours just in traffic, um, which again, that was my first experience of kind of, I don't know, in a way, just awareness and understanding. Um, and then it got to the point where going out on ambulance calls, um, I realised there was another ambulance. So we had two. We had one which was for the insurance paying private wealthy people, which had everything you wanted, like a normal ambulance here. Then we had a different one, which was a lot smaller, half the size, no, no air conditioning. Um, yeah, very, very uncomfortable. And all it had was an oxygen tank. That was it. Uh, and I realised why. Um, it was yeah so you'd have one for the, the paying people so they can afford it one was for what's called below the poverty line so in India again I don't know what it's like now but back then um, anyone who is from a poorer background or you know hasn't had that sort of privilege or can't afford insurance you get what's called a below the poverty line card so because you're below the poverty line that's your free treatment at a government hospital but I mean in India is so vast that people will travel hours like four or five hours to get treatment because they might have a local small hospital or smoke like a clinic or a local doctor, but you know it's not equipped as we are here. I mean, here you have, or in any Western country, you've got air ambulances, everything you need, Coast Guard. It's not the same in these kind of places, um, especially rural areas. Like Delhi's good, but all around in the rural areas where we used to go and get people from, it's not the same. So that really shocked me, to be quite honest. Um, and yeah unfortunately i was involved i say unfortunately fortunately was involved with lots of sort of yeah, uh, resources so either in the back of the ambulance on the side of the road people's houses or bringing them back into the emergency department and then just carrying on i mean i was 21 i didn't you know i'd done a bit of on the job training i didn't have you know the kind of experience that physicians associates have here now um so i was like legally covered and stuff that's fine but you know that experience as a 21 year old we didn't have debriefs um i mean we had accountants come around and ward rounds with us so that was my view of medicine that I'd, and health inequalities that i'd never seen and i think it just shocked me and i was like do you know what no i don't want to go down this route do you know what that highlights to me why you're so passionate about health inequality because you've had experience of it firsthand and essentially it's made you the practitioner that you are today I remember getting my gloves wrong during a recess and they just added on two extra pairs to the bill 
even though like, it was my fault. I got the glove size wrong, just in a panic. I just I felt so guilty. I was like, it's only it might be a few pounds or whatever, but uh, yeah, I just I didn't like it. I mean, the care that everyone received was always good, even if they were below the poverty line. If someone's dying, you do everything you can to save them. That's how it is. But in most private healthcare centres, as soon as you leave the emergency department, even if it's go for a CT scan, the bill starts and it starts very quickly. Um, I mean, you could be wheeled out for whatever reason, boom, your bill started, that emergency care's over. So that understanding, I mean, I'd never worked in an NHS setting before that. So then coming, I don't know, I just, I remember sitting there talking to my family and thinking, oh, maybe this isn't for me. But um, the best part of that was obviously any oncology patients. That's where, so my dissertation during my first degree was around chemotherapy and how it affects rat cells and very scientific and nerdy. And it was very exciting, but it's not really the patients so doing a bit more research and i got to work with our palliative and end of life care team there um they were amazing they were very nice very chilled and fluffy and brought you tea and everything and it's exactly what i wanted i know you don't like the word fluffy i love the word fluffy just because you don't like it <laughs> they had great interpersonal skills joe that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> i prefer that i prefer that I hate fluffy it's not fluffy <laughs> Fluffy's just quicker to say. But yeah, great interpersonal skills. I learned a lot from them. And they were the ones who said, oh, we've, you know, we see you've been part of a lot of resources. They just chatted to me like a human. And yeah, I remember just crying and being like, I don't know if this is for me. I'm not ready for this, blah, blah, blah. It's not something you normally do anyway as a 21-year-old, to be honest. You you get lots of training and those sort of experiences. You have debriefs and stuff. So I think that's really helped me now as a professional. But yeah, from that, I just looked up... Um, just because I remember a patient coming through who had radiotherapy. Uh, they're a palliative patient. It's for bone mets. And that was it. I was like, oh, what's radiotherapy? Never heard of this before. Looked into it. And then that was it. Um, I found the pre-registration master's course. At the time, I didn't realize it was 18 months and it wasn't the three-year one. But that was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I remember got an interview somehow. I was just thinking, wow, this is amazing. Um, used the last bit of my savings to fly back here. Um and yeah, went for the interview and I found out I was the last one for like one slot left. And I was so nervous because they told me that outside <laughs> that I just, I got the radiotherapy centers wrong that I'd visited. Um, oh, that's but, um, harsh. <laughs> that's harsh. The pressure already. <laughs> uh, I, I think they meant it in a nice way because they knew that I'd literally come back like I don't know, three, four days before, visited a couple of centers in London and then that was it. <laughs> Um, then straight into the interview so yeah so that was quite scary I suppose but I got it um, but yeah I... what what did you take away from your visits in radiotherapy departments so you kind of said you visited a few just before your interview was there anything that you saw that kind of solidified for you yes this is definitely what I want wanted to do or was it more still of the well, I, I like oncology and I'll go with the flow kind of thing. <laughs> I'm very chilled out, so I do like going with the flow. But it was definitely the fancy machines and everything. Just, you know, looking at the imaging outside, the decision-making process that you get as what we do as therapeutic radiographers. So obviously now I know like we're the only people who can deliver radiation to treat cancer. But the, I don't know, just it was such a big contrast to patient care. It wasn't about, okay, you can have a treatment today, you're going to get, x you know radiotherapy protons whatever all this fancy stuff just because you can afford it it's you know every single one in that waiting room regardless of their background everything they're going to get cancer treatment today that's the whole point it wasn't about uh you got your glove size wrong they're going to pay for it or you know that sort of things or an accountant coming on a ward round that's just mad okay can you imagine that here i can't <laughs> it just it makes me cringe even now just thinking oh, i just had these tests on just so we can put it up to a more round figure and like these people are gonna have to sell things when you know to be able to afford or pay this off for the rest of their life i do yeah. remember actually um because i was born out in abu dhabi and i always remember my mum had kept like a memory box of all the things uh, when i was born because you know first child and all that i don't think my sister got the same thing um but um being born out in abu dhabi i hadn't realized but she essentially had like her bill and I was like, what is this? And she was like, oh, that's the itemised bill. And I was horrified to find out that after she'd had me, she was drinking champagne. And and I was like, this is, honestly, this is crazy. And she's like, but that's what you did. Kind of everyone pays for healthcare. And I 
think seeing that was my first realization that you know we're so lucky in the UK to have the NHS but I just I couldn't believe it I was like what is this um I don't understand it and she's like that's the bill to have you and then I obviously saw the champagne so it couldn't have been that bad I think she paid for all the drugs (laughs) why not drugs and champagne sounds like a great (laughs) I think I had a big head um (laughs) so Naaman what about your MSc um pre-registration experience you know how was it during your training I'll be honest it was hard um 18 months is not a long time we didn't really get much time off uh, at all and having just left like a job and basically using up all my savings to come back for the interview and blah 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 um yeah I had to work I mean luckily it was back kind of where I'd done my first degree so I knew a few people who worked on bars and stuff um so like managers so they gave me a job um so yeah for me I think that's probably the most important thing was being able to afford to go to university so like yeah you get the bursary and stuff like that but that's not always enough um I don't think so and having just had that work I think I needed something else to kind of do in in at the same time so yeah we had three 14 week placements which I know quite a few universities in the UK it's quite different how they do their placements but I really liked having the three 14 week kind of placement blocks because everything you've just learned you can really put it in and it was really nice and structured so um yeah not to bore anyone who's listening but you know you'd go into different kind of radiotherapy techniques communication you know all sorts of bits and pieces um so yeah I loved it I really enjoyed it it was hard to go to placement in a different city so I had to get up usually 5 30 in the morning to go and get the train get there and I'd get home at like eight at night and then Friday night Saturday night Sunday night I worked in a bar um till four in the morning so yeah Mondays were hard <laughs> and I used to always fall asleep on the train home but I had to do it I mean lots of people have to do this it's you know for me it was if I don't do it I can't afford to get to placement so yeah it it was important for me and I I loved the placements they were the most like the the best thing about it lectures were good it was really nice we had a really nice cohort um, and yeah just learning things in like a safe environment so using like um the simulator stuff um yeah learning like radiotherapy planning but where you can really understand it and there's no time pressures and things like that just that was really nice i think the communication module was my favorite um where yeah you basically went to a hospice ironic that you're a podcaster and the communication module was your favorite (laughs) yeah they they did teach me a lot about podcasting there to be fair (laughs) but yeah the hospice i really enjoyed that again palliative end of life care just having that conversation and just being really open and honest about things um that was my favorite and yeah I think it was wasn't really to the second placement I really kind of understood what hard work is about so perhaps because of working in the medical side a bit more kind of in India as well I never saw the reward of getting to being a doctor or a consultant or a surgeon etc but it wasn't really until I was a student I think after my first placement I went back I really appreciated like the journey that you have to take to get somewhere and how hard it really is um, and I think it echoes with just what our patients go through just that's what really I think like you just solidified it it's like people are going through the toughest parts of their life they are working they they might be working they might have children they've got all these other worries but regardless of that even if the machine is delayed or broken you know us as therapeutic radiographers we always did whatever we could you know whether it was getting the little tea trolley out (laughs) when we're a bit delayed or something like that like that you don't I never really saw it so you know like I talked about seeing really horrible deaths when I did CPR I've never seen a good death so that's something learning like I got to see that when I was a student working with the palliative and end-of-life care team again in the hospital when they were there with someone at the end and that was really nice and it was just it kind of I don't know put my faith in humanity back if you want so I'm not saying it was a bad experience so to speak in India like we did amazing things lots of people I learned from but just that stark contrast of health inequalities yeah it's hard to think about it um I know things in the hospital have improved drastically since then because I gave a lot of feedback when I left um which wasn't easy but had to be done so yeah um that's what I'd say I think getting to the profession quicker was really helpful <laughs> um just because you know people always said oh, there's loads of opportunities and stuff and I was quite fortunate that a job came up in the department that I had placements in so I think that was a nice I don't know it, it's obviously good to go to different centers and see different ways of working etc 
but from a confidence level you knew what it was you know what the department's about getting into it and then yeah just starting to work and yeah eventually kind of work my way up a bit so that was quite nice so i suppose if i take you back a bit joe um, <laughs> a long way <laughs> yeah i can't even count it's just that long um, so when you qualified back in your day with portable imaging uh, <laughs> Um, so I worked in a department um, that I'd not worked in um, whilst I was doing my training I had visited it for about a week just as an elective placement um, and I really enjoyed it but logistically for me I did take into consideration kind of where my husband was where he was working where we wanted to buy a house um, and so that did essentially influence where we were going to go um, and I can honestly say those first three four years of working as a therapeutic radiography um, professional were the best years of my life um, earning my own wage, loving my job, having a big social circle of work colleagues. You know, I worked hard, but I probably parted harder uh, back in those days. But it was amazing because we had a really supportive team and, you know, we would go out and socialise and we did lots of kind of, like I'm quite an active person, so we did some weird and wonderful things out in the Peak District. Um, but it was always nice to kind of know that, yes, you were working hard at work and sometimes it was really emotionally draining, but that you did get to socialise with each other. Obviously, then I got older, got married. Um, I wanted to focus more on my career. Um, not that I didn't take it seriously. I absolutely did. And I always was hugely passionate about patient care. But I think I definitely, I wanted to be that radiographer that was part of everything. So everything got me excited. And I know I'm still like that. People ask me to do things or get involved in things. And I'm just not a no person. I even remember once having an appraisal and um, my manager saying, Joe, you've got to stop saying yes to things. And I was like, why? And she's like, because you spread yourself too thinly. And I'm like, but actually there's a real benefit to me doing lots of different work. It means that actually I can link things together and I do get huge opportunities from doing it. So I don't know. I pushed back on on kind of saying no thing to things because actually I definitely think I was a better practitioner for it. Um I did used to get really frustrated by the bureaucracy and politics. So in my naive eyes back then, I saw a problem. I just wanted to fix it. And, you know, it was really difficult for me to not be able to have that level of autonomy to kind of make changes. And I absolutely now see why. And you have to have the evidence base behind things and it has to be supportive and have the correct infrastructure. But back then being quite naive, I was just like, look, this isn't working let's change it let's change it tomorrow um and that kind of was a bit of a frustration of mine um i think one of my lasting impressions from clinical was definitely when i treated uh, a young woman with cervical cancer and she was part way through her treatment and um she was around the same age as me and actually we just really hit it off you know like some of those patients that you come across in your professional life and you know we would have a giggle and a joke about things and we had kind of similar life stories really and um so she used to come in with her two children uh, who were very young at the time and unfortunately she knew that her prognosis wasn't great and she actually took me um into one of the rooms and just said look can I have a chat with you I just need to ask you something and I was like yeah absolutely what what do you need and she said oh you know I want to write letters to my two children I was like all right okay um, and she's like well I can't ask you know I can't ask family I can't ask friends it's just too emotive and I still don't think I'd clicked about what she was really asking but and she said I want them to be able to open letters from their mum on their birthdays you know on their significant days whether that's weddings or you know when they graduate university or do their a levels or gcses and honestly i think it was in that moment that i just thought what a privilege like what a privilege it is to have 
a professional role where you're able to support someone in that way and I always find my I whenever I tell that story I've told this this um story so many times because I, I tell it quite a lot at schools and colleges to just show the impact that therapeutic radiographers can make but my voice I can always feel myself getting emotional about it because I think it was so fundamental to me knowing that I wanted to do something for patient care but I needed to make things better. I needed all patients to feel supported that they could have someone to write letters with or have these conversations about how they're feeling with. Um, and I didn't always feel like that in clinical practice when time pressures were were really strict. And, you know, I know that people would roll their eyes going, oh, no, she's, she's doing the new patient information talk and I know she's going to take hours. Um, I could see that and I knew that that was frustrating for colleagues but I found it really really hard um, uh, why should that be frustrating obviously this is my review interpersonal yeah. skills coffee out on but every patient deserves to know as much as you can give them right you need to prepare them yeah. but also I think I don't know perhaps we're quite similar that you know if someone's in front of you they might not necessarily know all the questions to ask and that's what you're yeah. there for is to give it to them because yeah some people come to us who have you know cancer treatments that they've got a long list of things but you'll still end up telling them stuff that isn't on there because we're trained to do this yeah, yeah. i've it's always been a bugbear when people say oh you've taken too long with that first day chat okay but now this patient has all the info they need they feel comfortable when they're just about to have cancer treatment that's potentially going to change their life so yeah, yeah sorry just wanted to interject. no absolutely and i i I felt like that. I felt the frustration that I couldn't just go, look, you need to, we need to change, you know, the amount of time. And I know it still happens when, when we've got such demands on our service and we could do a full podcast about that. Maybe that's one for Radiotherapy UK um, about investing in radiotherapy and giving our patients more time. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely found that frustration. So you kind of mentioned your review role that you have today so do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you came about kind of going down that route yeah um i suppose in a way for me when i think well and i found out that's a type of role that therapeutic radiographers can go into is it was similar to being like a medic so for me it was that autonomous working where you know i am very calm and chilled and in my own head but i like to be able to manage my own list because i know what ticks for me but at the same time working in a team of people who are working autonomously you understand kind of that you have a patient clinic you know xyz needs to be done between that but you plan it out with the patient see when their treatment time is if you're calling them etc etc so yeah the autonomous working was great and it was as a band six i found like when i got my band six role um that's when i found out you could rotate into different areas so obviously in radiotherapy you've got pre-treatment the treatment floor also got dissymmetry so radiotherapy planning um and then review but i think review from what i gathered has always been portrayed when i was a student as oh you go there when you've got 20 years of experience and that's kind of where you go to end up retiring to be honest that's what i was told by someone at well, doing one of my placements so i thought oh well, okay well i'm probably never going to get into that but similar to you being <laughs> on the treatment floor when patients had queries i always wanted to go and find out so that i knew what to tell them as a student afterwards and I've always worked hard to make sure if there's something I don't know I need to go and find out more because it just annoys me that I don't know something <laughs> to be perfectly honest I want to know everything and everything about anything and it is I don't know it, maybe it's a bit of a toxic trait and I might be oh, on the train home or something I need to read this I need to find out what this means so that if someone asks I have them even if it's just signposting it's really important I realize that about review actually a lot of it is counseling skills it's not necessarily or interpersonal skills but it's not necessarily that you need to be talking all the time i'm not one to talk all the time like you joe obviously as we all know now <laughs> but actually using the active listening skills yeah just it's just about listening to other people's stories um like it's nice it makes you feel wanted even in your non-unprofessional lives in the civilian world like when you have a problem you speak to your friend you know they give you advice but they don't they just listen that's what you want that's what reviews about so helping people going through the toughest parts of their life but at each little point when they need it through a structured review or even just ad hoc stuff you're there with what they need so yeah i, I don't know i just I, I love that i suppose 
interpersonal skills it's something you do develop but i think in sort of a technical job like we do some people are more inclined towards the technical side so doing imaging or you know doing the calculations that sort of thing um whereas some people do prefer the people side a bit more and i think i like a bit of both but i'm definitely far more leaning towards the patient care side and i think being able to assess a patient and then eventually hopefully i'll do my prescribing but just to be able to be just do everything you need to like yes you would work in a team um but you know you don't have to always rely on other people i like to be a bit self-sufficient because if i can do everything i can for that patient i will always feel better and again i know you can't always do everything you can for a patient sometimes unfortunately patients with treatable not curable disease you know like yeah it's not my sadness it's theirs they're going through a tough time i'm just here in that point in their journey in their circle when they need me to help but if i can do that one little snippet even if it's a minute the best that i possibly can i know that that patient will remember that rather than oh it was only a minute we didn't really do that much it's not about trying to be remembered it's just trying to say well actually they're going through a tough time i want to do everything i can with my compassion and empathy that i've learned through training seeing other people be incredibly kind to patients even though they don't need to and i say they don't need to because you might just be walking past someone who's just looks a bit upset in the hospital that like we all work in hospitals but just stopping so that are you okay that can actually go such a long way and i've seen lots of therapeutic radiographers where i was training uh, do that and it, yeah it always stuck with me so i suppose to be in a job like we do a lot of people know someone who's had cancer i i don't um my uncle died of cancer but it was very quick and sudden so i didn't really get to know much and i again i was quite young so i didn't really know but i suppose like when it comes to the counseling side any counsellors i know <laughs> or therapists psychotherapists they've all had some sort of trauma and that's why they're good because they can empathize and really see what's happening i suppose yeah my own personal trauma or mental health issues they just have given me a different insight into what people go through i think that's quite suited to review but also a part of me wants to showcase that review doesn't just have to be somewhere you go to retire i think reviewing someone is literally every single healthcare professional's job whatever they do even if they're not clinical anymore if you talk to someone you're still reviewing them if you ask them how they are you're still reviewing them same that's i say that to every student i speak to now who think oh i know it's reviews job no it's not if you ask a patient how they are you've reviewed their mental status are they in pain you're looking at them for facial expressions everything everyone does it on a daily basis you know you give your seat up on the tube you're still reviewing how someone is because you think oh they need the seat more than i do everyone does it so yeah and i do miss treatment sometimes um i joke about trying to go back but i didn't always like the conveyor belt feeling being on the treatment floor we have a lot of patients that come through we do treat some patients within 10 15 minutes because radiotherapy can be delivered in a couple of minutes but it's getting you in position that takes time however i want to talk to people i want to see how they are i want to help just get to know them because we get to see our patients for weeks sometimes you know, some patients come for seven weeks and you watch them start being really terrified, worried they're not going to get through it, have side effects. And then we intervene with, you know, physical or emotional interventions and then get to the end of treatment, come back six months later and say, oh, I've got the all clear or oh, my disease is stable. I knew I wasn't going to be cured, but I'm not in pain anymore. Something like that. It's, yeah, it's such a small snapshot in radiotherapy. But with being in review, working with other teams, research, everything, that whole coordination I love it. It's it's amazing. Um, yeah, best part of the job. And I know I'm being biased, but it definitely is the best part of the job. So you went to the dark side. We always talk about, <laughs> <laughs> always talk about farmers, the dark side, right? But you went into lecturing. Uh, even though you said how much you loved clinical. So what went wrong? I don't know. I don't know what to ask you. <laughs> Nothing went wrong. <laughs> Nothing went wrong. Um, no, no. So it was to be honest, it was really ad hoc. So one of the lecturers just happened to ask me, "Oh, can you help me support some of the students? I'm going on some annual leave." Do you know what? I bet she just she sought me out because she knew I was a yes person, and I'd be like, "Yes, of course, oh, of course, I'll do it." it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. <laughs> So anyway, I um, supported the students in um, what is essentially now like a practice educator role, um, but that didn't really exist back then. Um, and so I did that for a little bit and I was really surprised how much I enjoyed it. 
Um, I was then asked to do and help with some marking, which I was under false pretenses, I have to say, because it was portfolio marking and I loved it because the portfolios were all about clinical experience, clinical skills, clinical knowledge. So yeah, marking now is probably my least favourite aspect of lecturing, but um, I absolutely loved, or apart from dissertations, I love dissertation marking because I learn loads and it's like CPD, so I love it. Um, but um, but yeah, um, portfolio marking I absolutely loved. So I then got a phone call from Angela Duxbury. Again, I think she kept me on her books. Um, she, just, she just had that little inkling that maybe one day I might fit into academia. And she said, oh, we've got a job coming up. Do you think you might apply? And I was like, oh, I've not really thought about lecturing. And I'd actually only been qualified five years. So I was really anxious about the fact that I was newly qualified. And did I want to take that leap? Um, I knew a lot of the lecturers didn't work clinically and in academia. So and still to this day, it's really hard to do that. There's lots more roles now where you're kind of a clinical academic. And I think that works a lot easier than being an academic who goes into clinical it's it's there's lots of reasons why for lots of logistical reasons that that doesn't really work that role it's it's much more challenging but unbeknown to Angela and the team I'd actually applied for med school probably a couple of days before Angela had called me so I was going through the whole recruitment process for med school and <laughs> it's actually really funny because when I went for my panel interview, I walked into the room. I was really, really nervous. Bearing in mind, I was like a therapeutic radiographer. So I knew I had kind of the right qualifications to get in. But I was so nervous. Um, and I hardly told anyone that I'd done it. Because I was like, oh, what if they reject me? I'm really embarrassed. And uh, anyway, I opened this door. And I, I was a bit sweaty. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really nerve-wracking. And sat in front of me was my gynecologist. So um, I've been having loads of gynecological problems, which now I know is polycystic ovaries, um, polycystic uh, syndrome, and also endometriosis. So I was like, I've been seeing him for months, probably a year, to be honest. And yeah, it's really unnerving when you have to have an important interview, knowing that someone's seen your vulva, vagina and cervix. So he was asking me about my career goals and aspirations, and all I'm thinking is like, yeah, I know where your hand's been. Uh, yeah, it was really, really off-putting. But anyway, I then went for my interview at uh, the university for the lecturing post. That wasn't quite, that wasn't quite so intimidating. Um, thanks, thank God, because they were my lecturers when I was at Sheffield Hallam. So that would be a tale and a, and a half, wouldn't it? Um, but um, yeah, I basically, I didn't know what to do. I was really, really torn. And my nana, a very wise and spiritual woman, just went, no, oh, just let fate decide and see what, what you get offered first. And uh, so I did. I literally just waited and thought, yeah, if, if I get an acceptance for anything, then yes, it's meant to be. And if I get accepted for both, then actually it's whatever comes first. And uh, there I am at the university. So... Yeah, I think fate had a lot to do with it. And uh, yeah, it was definitely a great decision for me. I get a lot of satisfaction from knowing that I'm able to support the future workforce and make changes to patient care, but through our students and empowering them. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy. <laughs> so what's the best aspect of your role uh, to date, Naaman? You've mentioned a few things already about kind of loving rad review and things but is there anything that stands out i think just the privilege of hearing patient stories that's my favorite they're people um yeah talk, say this a lot like you know yes they have cancer but they've been an individual first and I, know, I know you say this to your students as well um that's what's more important the cancer is just something that's happened you know just hearing their stories even if it is you end up talking to a patient for 10 minutes about their dog there's probably a reason for it so this is an example for me. I had a, a patient who was coming in for bone mets treatment. Um, so, yeah, just she was was she just wanted to know who would look after her dog because uh, she didn't have anybody, any family or friends around. 
but that was important for her and yeah privileged that she felt comfortable enough to talk to me about it and then we got her some carer support and helped her write a will so that she knew what to do with the dog afterwards so yeah just hearing people's stories and I think now that I'm in a role where um, I'm kind of working towards being an accredited advanced practitioner um, so you know you've got the four pillars so clinical I'm hoping I get this right now clinical leadership education I think research and audit so again I like a challenge hence why I always wanted to be some form of special forces person just pushing myself that you've got four things clinical is amazing you know your interpersonal skills technical knowledge medicines side effect management leadership just trying to really embody who I think hopefully I've come across like what I want to do what I believe and how I suppose I believe how people should be treated that's really important that I think that can be leadership it doesn't have to be that you're leading a team all the time it could just be how you are with people um, and how you kind of help students or junior staff kind of progress and things like that education you got me into lecturing you brought me one step into the dark side I suppose <laughs> but I've loved it um, it's been great uh, you know just just getting feedback and again just talking about my passion for why I want to help people in difficult conversations or palliative end of life care which I love um, and then yeah research which I've been very fortunate to do quite a bit of and yeah write a paper during covid which was awesome um yeah be involved with conferences and stuff and i'm doing quite a lot around skincare research which is very exciting so you've got some it. amazing mentors haven't you supporting you with your research which is yeah, amazing I'm very very privileged to have it it's it's amazing but i suppose you have to if you don't ask you don't get so they could have just ignored me but they were happy to listen and I did everything I could, even with a bit of help from you, <laughs> to know what to say. Um, but again, that's that's the world of, I suppose, therapeutic radiography. There are some really great role models and people who want to help you succeed, um, which is nice. Um, and I, I think that's that's really good. So when you got into the dark side, Joe, that wasn't enough for you. Um, <laughs> you have had an incredible career so far. Loads of amazing things you've been involved in. Lots of things where you could be like oh this is i can't believe i'm doing this and i know you've talked about having imposter syndrome sorry imposter syndrome before or how you've managed to achieve things but there's a lot of people who look up to you you've done some amazing things i can see you blushing and getting really really cringed but don't care um so what has been so far for you there there are a lot of highlights because i do feel really privileged and i would just stress to anyone listening a lot of it was through opportunity, to saying yes, to supporting people, to networking um, and working bloody hard. I do work really hard and, you know, I may not be the most academic. My research is developing, but I'm not a researcher. I'm very novice in that area. So I've been very privileged and supported heavily by lots of people within the profession. Um, but I've, I've been lucky. I've been lucky to have some amazing opportunities. Um, I always remember, you know, when I first joined um, the lecturing team, I, I was in awe of everyone that I worked with. Um, you know, I'd looked up to them throughout my degree and I was just bowled over that they thought that I was worthy of being able to kind of do some of the, the jobs and the roles that I was given. So one thing that I did do was a Winston Churchill fellowship which was amazing and definitely if anyone is looking for funding go and have a look at the Winston Churchill fellowship because it's truly amazing what they offer um, and they gave me a small little fund to do some research into recruitment and retention um, of therapeutic radiographers and I went to Canada and honestly it was an amazing experience that's where I got to meet Amanda Boulderston um, you know hero status for me even all those years ago um, and you know that I would say was totally outside of my comfort zone I had traveled lots but you know I met my husband when I was 16 so being on my own was just I wasn't used to it and yet there I was in Canada with my backpack kind of traveling around on a train I just hadn't done it before and uh, I would remember my husband saying that when he came to pick me up from the airport I got <laughs> I came into the, the arrivals lounge and he's like oh let me take your bag and I was like nope I'm missing independent now I'm absolutely fine I don't need you to help me 
and he said uh, it was very funny when I came home I was like I'm this independent and I don't need you it's fine I'm going to change the fuse in the plug socket or whatever um but yeah I definitely I think grew up on that trip to be honest um, and became much more independent and I was already quite independent but um yeah that was definitely a highlight for me just to experience travel um but within my professional role and get to network but on an international scale and doing the admissions lead role at at, um, Sheffield Hallam for radiotherapy and oncology but also across AHP and then I had a short period of time where I was leading a project for Councillor Deans that was amazing like there's nothing more than I love to promote therapeutic radiographers and the role that they have and the support they offer patients and the skills and knowledge that they have that they don't even realize you know there's so many opportunities available now for therapeutic radiographers to work across oncology pathways to work in ahp roles you know to be on the board of directors for um, a trust you know that's all within our scope um, and i'm hugely passionate for pushing that and so recruitment gave me loads of opportunities and essentially allowed me to flourish I would say in being able to kind of network with a greater number of people and throughout the profession Um, and then I also worked whilst at the university as the interprofessional education lead um, for AHPs and that again was monumental for me it really did shape me as a person but also thinking outside of my radiotherapy and oncology box it's very easy for us to be in our professional silos and that just you know I couldn't teach students about interdisciplinary education without really going to town on thinking actually what does it mean how do we use it what's the benefits of it and actually now when we kind of say integrated care it's you know it's easy to think well of course of course that's where we're moving towards and what we're trying to achieve whereas back then it was really not not novel for Sheffield Hallam they'd always done it I you know I studied into professional modules but there was just something about it in terms of what we were trying to achieve and um, I remember organizing a conference for what was it three or four years on the bounce uh, a thousand students honestly when I think about it now I was absolutely mad and I had so many sleepless nights but an amazing conference with stakeholders with uh, patients coming in to talk about their experiences experts in care and students would just rotate round, and it was just amazing to hear the buzz and all these students from different disciplines going oh that's really interesting I've not considered that before and I absolutely love that role um so yeah I've been really really lucky and privileged and then obviously most recently the National uh, Clinical Fellowship with um, Macmillan and that again has shaped me again into a very different beast um, and having a greater appreciation for the oncology pathway but also in using the patient voice Macmillan definitely taught me that and although I was highly passionate about patient care I think it's using the patient voice and having that filtering and designing everything that you do, absolutely everything you do. And uh, Jean Davies has got a lot to be uh, responsible for in getting me involved in prehabilitation and rehabilitation. So, yeah, lots of different things. But you've done amazingly well as well, Naaman. Or that. I was going to just say that was amazing. (laughs) Like, you know, we've worked together before, but I have always said, like, you are a great role model, like role model just yeah being a therapeutic radiographer lots of people in the past would have just said button pushers right but actually people like you show how much you can really do uh, even if it means you don't sleep much but still how much <laughs> can you do <laughs> but yeah that's, i just think it's amazing um what's next for you then oh, i don't know i i i've never really had a career plan i think i think my nana's spiritual fate uh let fate decide has maybe rubbed off on me i don't know i don't know i'm loving doing the podcast um i love engaging with patients and education um you know i really love my job um i do love um allied health professions and just working within that sector outside of radiotherapy so i don't know i don't know i will let fate decide (laughs) No, that's nice. You do a lot of charity work, though, as well. I do, I do. So I chose to work four days a week so that I could do more work on a Friday. Um, 
obviously on the podcast but also spending more time with family that work-life balance um and also dedicating time to charity so currently training for a hundred kilometer walk uh, with Giovanna Fletcher and for the amazing charity Copperfield and then working really closely with Radiotherapy UK and then through the podcast linking with lots of lots of charities and doing consultancy work and I, lo- I absolutely love it um, and also just recently the UK Acute Oncology Society um, you know that's something that I'm really passionate about being involved in largely so we have the voice of therapeutic radiographers um, so yeah that's really exciting but Naaman you've just come back from Estro and you have taken the world by storm you know what's what's your future career aspirations what what's going to happen for you in the future uh i'm very much a believer of whatever happens happens and hard work passion everything gets you there um i suppose for me quite literally what my name means in hindi is to serve or to bow so i kind of feel like i've actually found that true meaning now where i just want to help patients that's exactly what this podcast is about right like if we can help one patient in one country in the world we've done our job but yeah, that that's it. The clinical side, I love it. I will struggle to ever let that go just because I just want to be around patients. But yeah, so consultant therapeutic radiographer. I mean, it's a role that's been around for a while, but I think now in the probably the next five five or so years, maybe in the future, I think it's really becoming an actually respected title where we can take a lot of work away from oncologists, but not because we need to just help them, but actually because we can do it. And we can do it. We know radiotherapy. You know, we really can. Obviously, we get the peer support. But yeah, just again, that autonomous working, just shaping a role where I can really use my passion to help patients and other people. But I suppose we've talked about this before, and I've, it's going to make me cringe saying it. But representation, there aren't enough people who look like me anywhere near those kind of roles anywhere. And I think that's really, really, really important that someone who didn't speak any English who came here when he was six years old speaks still can speak mostly three of the languages that I grew up speaking but English two other languages but I'm pushing myself to get somewhere and it's not I don't know someone said this to me the other day at Estro that maybe it will click for you that isn't always just about you know your career it's actually if you get there just think how many people will see you and think I can achieve that that isn't something you always get to see from someone you know from a different background who isn't British born and raised and stuff so and I think the skincare research I haven't really done anything that's new and I'm not trying to be humble but I mean skin is a phenotype but that's the most normal thing that we look at every day you know we all came originally from Africa and we all moved away the further you moved away the lighter your skin became and that's literally it all I've done is just showcase that we should be looking at skin tones differently because we are different and it's just ironic that link hasn't necessarily always been made but at the same time why should it have been when everything's always been biased towards something and again as i said about my stories of working in india it's just the bias you know we've never really had that much money but my family worked hard to get to where they are my mum worked incredibly hard to give me the opportunities that i had and that's just what i want to give back so but also go down that phd route of watching my fiance (laughs) go through her final years of doing hers and just being in tears and I was like yes great I really want to do that too (laughs) but no it's not like that I think it's just having a passion for something and getting putting it into a PhD thesis but just taking that into the real life kind of context so yeah Estro Professor Heidi Prose thank you for the opportunity to go she's always been my role model and idol so I'd like to be like her one day um but yeah just it was thanks to her that I got the invite to go to Estro so and I'd like to say I think it went really well. <laughs> I was so nervous, but I was very glad sitting or standing on the podium that the lights were really bright. So every time I looked up, I had to squint. So I just I didn't have to get that nervous. But yeah, it, it was good. So always wanted to grow up making a difference. I've never known what that really meant, I suppose, until that talk this week. Well, yeah, this weekend um, so in Estro 2022. But yeah, just make sure everyone from any background gets everything they deserve regardless of their skin tone that's probably it and yeah charity work so we both work for Radi- with radiotherapy uk um doing lots of stuff and you know it's just exciting that it's a relatively small charity but it's the uk's only radiotherapy dedicated charity you know it's run or you know run by people like us so therapeutic radiographers and the ambassadors network so many diverse people from across the country we've just come together 
just because we want radiotherapy to get more funding, but to make sure our patients don't have to travel you know, long distances um, to get treatment because that's what they need, um, period, really. And yeah, another charity, Move Charity, because that's where my competitive challengingness comes in of running, doing all sorts of ridiculous lengths of whatever, just because I love it, but also getting patients to realise the power of exercise, that just moving even when you feel rubbish. You know, ironically, the best answer to fatigue, especially related to treatment, is exercise. Even if you don't feel like it, I promise you, you will feel better. And I will challenge anyone to try and make me feel, or try and uh, prove me wrong. Even if it's just a walk to the kitchen, still a walk. That still counts as exercise. So, yeah, charity work. I think anyone listening need to get involved. It could just be helping a patient website, as we've done, Joe, recently. Um, you know, a patient-led website where giving the insight of a professional is really important because these are the questions I said earlier that they will never know what to ask but unless we tell them they won't know and it's our job to do so you know regardless of how much or how little time you have we need to give them everything we can yeah it can be overwhelming but it's just about picking the right terminology and what to use I suppose so yeah that's what I would say (laughs) so yeah thanks everyone for listening um just thought it'd be nice to let you know who we are and our passion behind what we do um so yeah um, your host for today have been uh, me, so name Joe Anderson and Joe McNamara. Um, so we'll catch you soon. Bye.